Open up your Bibles, if you will, and uh, somewhere, anybody know where we're turning yet? Open it to Second uh, Corinthians, and we'll go from here, wherever we go. Second Corinthians, uh, last week, or the week before when I was here, we read a verse in, in Philippians, the second chapter. Maybe we should turn there first. And uh, we'll just, we'll, I'll quote it, how's that? And then we'll stay here in 2 Corinthians 3rd chapter. We, we shared a verse that says that God works in the believer. That's a sermon in itself. If you're a believer, God works in you. If God's not working in you, you're probably not a believer. Amen? In other words... God works and deals with his own children. The Bible said if he doesn't deal with you, you're not his child. Now, I understand this. Somebody can be a child of God and be so distanced from him, it's very rare to experience him dealing with them. Or he's been talking to them and talking to them. You know, like a parent, take out the trash, take out the trash, take out the trash, take out the trash. After a while... They're not going to say, take out the trash. You're just not going to be able to get to do that fun thing you want to do Tell you, I'm sorry, Tell you, take out the trash. And then he may be going, but mom, when are we going to go do that? When are we going to go do that? And, and it always goes back to, well, take out the trash. Do the thing I told you, and here we go. So God works in us, the Bible said, both to will... So, have you ever wanted to do something for God, and you knew what you were supposed to do, but you didn't do it? Nobody, yeah. We've all been there. I know I need to get up and pray. I, need, I, I know I need to get up and do this. And uh, when you, uh, you know, he works in you to will, but then I have to cooperate and put my will with his will. It says both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And we said this last week, that when we do God's good pleasure, we experience good pleasure internally. There are people who are a wreck inside, and they're smiling on the outside, maybe. And, uh, but, and I'm talking about a believer. It's because they're not cooperating with what God's wanting and maybe for a long, long time, or they're struggling with it internally, what God wants them to do. If they would just obey, uh, they would start walking in God's good pleasure. Heaven, we know, rejoices when one sinner repents. But so does your own heart. Our heart responds to the things God wants and when we obey. And how many of you know the whole world is not going the way of God? Amen? And, and so, God is endeavoring to deal with people beyond religion. Are you with me? He wants to deal with us beyond religion because the world needs something beyond religion. They do. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I gave my life to the Lord, I had grown up in a church that was very traditional, and there were certain things. And when I came into the kingdom of God, I thought, there is a reality here. I've come to know the Lord personally. I don't want some religious thing. I had lived where you get drunk and you have an experience. 
and you do drugs, and you have an experience. And you smoke pot, and you have an experience. And you do this, and you do that, and you do this, and you have an experience. Now I come into the kingdom of God, my first encounter with God is a massive experience. Not physically, Jesus didn't ascend with a robe, you know, and go into the room. Now he could do that, but he didn't do that with me. But he descended into my inner parts and uh, where nobody could see it in the room, but man, I had received him, things changed. So much so, it was so dramatic uh, that, you know, I, I even determined right then, I can't tell anybody about this for a while because this may just not last. But the thing that sold me on the whole thing is this is real. It's reality. And this is what I had been looking for in my whole life. Are you with me? I used to go to bed at night and be frustrated and go, why was I even born? You see people committing suicide all the time now, thinking, why am I here? No hope. And I would sit in bed at night and think, why was I even born? And I'd get frustrated that I was here, but I knew you're not supposed to kill yourself. Boy, I was in a quandary. If you don't know what that is, you're going to have to look it up. But I was tangled up. You know, I can't do this, and I can't do this, and ah! And I'm thinking, this is horrible. And I would think, there's got to be more. But it would have been sad if the more I had was only that first experience. And I'm not talking about experience. I'm talking about a work that happened and something that God wants to continually happen, because when you come into a relationship, you know, you ever meet somebody and go, I really like them. I think I'll never talk to them again. I don't want to be around them. I don't want to see them. I mean, I really like them, but that's the only thing I needed right there, just that taste. I'll go find something else now to satisfy me, and right after I die, or right at the end, I'll talk to him some more. That, I mean, just by my observation, would seem stupid. Are you with me? I would, I would want to know that person better. If, and here's what's true about relationships that we like. You ready? It does something for me. Right? I mean, have now it's this has never happened with anybody in the church, but we have had this happen with someone else. When we're talking to them and we're thinking, man, I can't wait till I never talk to them again. <laughs> or you're like, oh no, here they come. See, that's why I was saying this didn't happen to us. Amen. But when we come in relationship with God, that was exactly the opposite with me. I was like, wow. When people said, you know, you could just talk to him. I'm like, seriously, this is going to be awesome. We're never supposed to lose that. When we lose that part of walking with God, we're, we're on, a, on a different place.
We're in dangerous ground. You know, it, when Jesus was tempted, uh, what God was doing in Jesus, the devil was working to pervert it. Working to pervert his relationship. Working to twist it so he uh, didn't have what he currently possessed. And I mean, if you look at the temptation of Jesus, I'm glad you want to turn there to Luke 4, we see that there were three main areas of temptation. And um, Jesus is walking in something with God. He's been filled with the Spirit. He's had a relationship. His relationship has gotten deeper. And now all of a sudden the enemy is there and trying to twist it. In verse 3, it said the devil, Luke 4, 3, said, If you are the Son of God, so the first temptation he had is to question who he really is. And think of this, if you're the Son of God, if you're really connected with God, if you're really walking with God, what is the first temptation here really about? Twisting the Word. Getting the Word out of His life. If you are, it's based on truth. Jesus said in verse 4, but Jesus answered and said, in other words, He told him, command this bread or these stones to be turned to bread. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He was trying to get him to separate his life from his relationship with what is written and what identity God had in him concerning the Word of God. The very next temptation, the enemy tells him, hey, you know, you should do this. Verse 7, therefore, if you will worship me, all of this will be yours. The next temptation is not about the Word per se, but it's about Him serving God. He's trying to get Him not to be fully committed to the Lord, but to have something higher in His life. All these things are real as you move forward with God. But God's goal for your life is not to have your life rewritten by the enemy. You know, you hear a lot about your story today. What's your story? Three pigs, wolf, brick house, straw house. And what's your story? Little Miss Muffet. You know, you know, but people talk about their story. Not to knock it, they're trying to... But the enemy, God's trying to write a story in your life, and the enemy wants to rewrite the story. When you get born again, there's such a work that starts... And you can't ever leave the basis of that start. The Word. Who are you going to serve? Hey, if we're obeying God, it's okay to go, what do you want, God? It, it, what happens is people start going, well, I don't know if I want that. I'm not talking to Him about that. Whew. And so He said, Jesus answered, and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, 
you will worship or serve the Lord God only, and Him only will you serve. So you think about it. The first thing is, is what does the Word say? The next thing that He's trying to get Him away from is who are you going to serve with your life? Then the next temptation is He's starting to make a stand, and now He's going to start trying to twist the Word. You know, the enemy wants to rewrite people's stories. You can turn back to 2 Corinthians. But Jesus shows us there that there's a way to do this and do this successfully, to be fruitful, and to have God do something in your life. And here's what we need to realize is, this is about our relationship with God. It's about a personal walk with God. And, you know, you'll hear people say that all the time. My relationship is personal. And there is an element of that. But if you really, really, really have a personal relationship, it's going to be public. And I'm going to prove it to you. But what sometimes people mean when they say my relationship is private They're basically saying, get out of my business. I don't want to evaluate where I'm at right now walking with God. Leave me alone. But they didn't say that. They just said, my relationship is private. Are you with me? It is private, but it's not private. 2 Corinthians 3. Remember we turned here? Didn't we? Third chapter. You're going to love this. This is what real Christian life is right here. Christian life here is not about a bunch of rules. But I know this, it is about our walk with Him, and He will deal with us. 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, it says, Do we need, verse 1, do we begin again to commend ourselves? So he starts off right here going, do I need to go, talk myself up and have common date, you know, a, a personal reference letter? Do I commend myself? Or do we need, as some other others, epistles or letters of commendation? So he said, Do I need to promote myself by my words? He said, Or do I need a letter of promotion from somebody else to promote me? Or do we need as others, you know, letters of commendation or to you or letters of commendation from you? Basically what he's saying right here is, do I have to have a letter, you know, to, of referral about me? Or do I need a letter uh, like other people uh, to refer them? You know, we talk about that in business, Right? You know, do you have any references, you know, concerning this job? Uh, Do you have any character references? You want to rent this or you want to buy this or you want to do this? Uh, And he said, do I have to have a letter written out from me giving a referral? Or do I need one from somebody else? Or do I need one from you? He said, there's other ministers who will do this. They'll, They'll get letters that will come and they'll show them and it will show a proof of who they are. And it's interesting that he starts this off about these letters to be referrals. 
He said, you actually are our letter, written in the hearts, known and read by all men. This is an interesting statement. Basically, what he's saying is, it's not, this, this walk is not about just a bunch of, I'm a Christian, they're a Christian, reference. He said, your lifestyle is a letter to everybody. Everybody's reading it. Everybody's seeing it. And he said right here, you're known and you're read by all men. Verse 3, clearly you are an epistle, which means letter, of Christ. Isn't this interesting that we are individually read and who's wanting to be the author? Christ is wanting to have such an impact on an individual's heart that uh, no matter what the circumstance, because you know some people will act one way in public and another way in private, but if it's a real work from God that we're following, this is what they can read no matter what. And he said, clearly you are a letter of Christ ministered by us. In other words, through their ministry, God was able to do a work. And he said, not with ink, because that's how he started off, getting letters of referral written with ink. He said, I don't technically need that. What I'm using as a referral is what God's doing in you. Or not. He said, ministered, not written, you know, with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on the tablets of stone, but on tablets of the flesh, that is the heart. What he's about to do is tell the story of Moses and how God, when he went up on the mountain, took his finger or the Spirit and engraved in a stone the Ten Commandments. And he brought them down and wanted all the people to read it. And they didn't want to hear it with the glory and the power that would transform, so he put a veil over his face. And in that context, he's saying here, this is a letter. You actually are what God wants to be read. And he wants you to be read... But you can't be read if you haven't been written. And so what he's saying is, God will write things by His Spirit. Doesn't that sound like a relationship? That's what happened to me when I first got saved. He first started writing. Hopefully some of the stuff has not been too scribbly. But that would be on me. You know, you ever seen people write with ink and then rub their hand across it and it smudges it? That's human. But God wants to write in our hearts. 
He didn't want us just to be religious. He doesn't just want us to have rules. He wants to do something so much inside it governs my outside. See, because we can all have a letter of accommodation where we go, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm this. But it doesn't look like it. What God wants is to do a work by His Spirit in an individual. How many times has God tried to write in our hearts so that somebody else could read it? But we didn't know it was for somebody else to read. We thought it was just about me and my decisions and what I would do. And some of those small promptings seem so whatever to get up and read my Bible. And just to walk with God where I would just read and pray and He would do something. You know, it's so interesting that Peter wrote this as the church started. He said, the world will think you are strange. Now, somebody, some people are strange. But he didn't mean it like that. He said, and don't look at the person next to you going, oh, see, I knew. No. He, he said, the world will think you're strange if you don't run to the same excesses. Why aren't you partying? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? But they don't realize they're just looking at the outside. I don't do certain things just to not do them. I'm believe that God writes things in my heart and I'm responding to that and as I respond it's read I don't have to shove it up in somebody's face read this read this but he said it is read by people people are reading our lives but God wants our lives to be read based on this God working so deep inside of us that it confronts my life. It confronts how I do things. Now you understand this. There's a human side of cooperation to this. There's the continuing on. There's that doing the elementary thing. When God does write in our hearts, do we respond to what He deals with us about? It's interesting in the Bible, it said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And we know it's of the heart. And we often in the church world preach like that is what God is doing to sinners. But technically it was not written to sinners, it was written to Christians and Him knocking and dealing with us inside. And He said, now it's up to us to open our hearts. Their life is frustrating when we're not in good fellowship with God. Amen? Anybody honest? I mean, you can get frustrated, you can be so frustrated, but if you look back where your life was not frustrated, it may not have been easy, but you were doing certain things. And God's wanting to write, clear some dust off. 
He didn't finish and quit writing back when Moses was here. He didn't quit back then. In the New Testament, he said this writing is more glorious and the reading of it is more glorious. Notice this. Not on tablets of stone at the end of verse 3, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. What is he saying there? He said, God wrote this when we were preaching to you. And he said, it's not just me and my great preaching. My sufficiency isn't from me. He said, it's from the Spirit of God and from the gifts God has given to me. But you understand this. If you look at the Corinthian church, they had God was working, but man, they had people doing all kinds of nuts things. But God was endeavoring to write in their hearts. You understand this, part of the Christian walk is being gathered together in a body where we can worship God and God can do a work in us. And then part of the Christian walk is our walk on our own. And I know when you first start, if you're not told, sometimes you go, what is this? When I gave my life to the Lord, people would say, start reading your Bible. Okay, I didn't understand it. I had to get a real easy one to read. They say, start praying. You know, you can finish praying in about 30 seconds when you don't know how to pray. All right, Lord, I'm ready. What do I say? What do we talk about? Anybody remember that? And maybe you're there right now and you're going, I pray for like 30 seconds and I prayed for everything I know. But I remember those times, you know, going on a date with somebody in high school. I remember Sadie Hawkins' dance one time, God Invited. It's all set up by the girl, another girl. They're there, we're at the table. I'm one year older than them. I'm used to hanging around with different people. We always talk. These people, I don't know if they did. We all sit down at the table and nobody says a word. They say like one or two things and they're done. And I'm trying to talk and I'm thinking, but I know how they feel after I got saved trying to go to the Lord. But I found this, if you just start, it'll grow. I said it'll grow. And here he said, um, verse 6, who has also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. He's talking about the old one when God wrote in stones. And now he's talking about this new one where God writes in the heart. He said this, not, I'll read verse 6 again, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. This is a new agreement. Not of the letter, meaning the law in the Old Testament, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You know, basically what he said there is you can't follow all those rules in the New Testament and get life in yourself. 
you can't go, I'm good enough to go to heaven because I followed the commandments. Doesn't work like that according to the Bible. As a matter of fact, it tells us completely the opposite. All those rules basically show that you need a Savior. And so what he's saying here, though, is after you have a Savior, God wants to write by His Spirit. You know, it would do people real good, I mean every believer, to remember their love for the Lord, or maybe they've never really known it, but where they were striving to take some time with the Lord. It would do people valuable, I mean, it would be valuable if people would just go, I'm going to start spending time with God again. Or for the first time. And, I, and if you're born again, just do it. Why, why am I saying this? It's not because I'm trying to encourage a rule, but I'm trying to encourage the opportunity for God to do a work in you. I'm not saying, oh, you, because some people get into this motion, well, I got to read my Bible, I got to read my Bible. And then the Bible becomes a dead book to them, even though it's living. The idea of prayer is not so that you pray for an hour and you're like, check, I did the laundry, I mowed the lawn or raked the rocks, whatever we do in Arizona. I, uh, you know, did this, did the laundry, took out the trash, I read my Bible. There should be something that we look at beyond, I read my Bible. It should be, I read, and, and then God dealt with me, that's what I was looking for. I prayed for things, but God also dealt with me. Why is this that it's so important to have this down as a believer? Because life is like a sail on a ship. And there's wind that's blowing. And God is wanting to blow and direct your life. And the enemy is going to try and blow and direct your life. And if I'm just out there and not doing the things that give opportunity for God to breathe by His Spirit, and all I'm feeling is the hot wind of the enemy, then there is a chance that He's going to try to talk me into doing something I should not be doing. Isn't it interesting that scripture in James 5, if anybody is tempted, let him pray. If you're under a pressure situation, the best thing you, or one of the great things you can do is to pray. Why would you want to pray if you were in a tough time and going through struggles in your faith? Because what's going to happen is God is going to infuse you with fresh direction. And when it's dark outside, fresh light is great. Amen. I know you guys would be excited about this. 
in verse 7 says, But if the ministry of death, written and engraved in stones, was glorious. What is he saying here? He's talking about God wanting to do such a work in a person's heart, it gets lived out in front of everybody. But then he talks about the difference of just keeping rules. And he called just keeping rules, he called that the law and death. But he said there was something else. Verse 7, but if the ministry of death written and engraved in stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away? Verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? What is he saying here? He's basically saying if we will with our lives, do what it takes to get around like ministry like this, or time on your own also. He said, not trying to get a bunch of rules like you must keep this and must do that and must do this. He basically said that produces death. What we need is where God really deals with you. And God really works in you. That is where life is. Anybody ever been dealt with by God? Anybody want to be dealt with by God? Turn to Romans 12, or Hebrews 12. We're going to close over here. This is so vital to the Christian walk. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. God wants us to be holy. Somebody said, I can't be holy. Oh, if you're a Christian, you can be. Holy means to be pure. And holy also means to be separated. Not like split in half, but separated to God. Notice this in the 12th chapter. It says this. We'll read verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Talking about Jesus, the pressures he faced. Lest you would become weary and discouraged in your souls. He told us to be careful when you're in a hard time and pressure is on you, what you put your focus on. He said because you can get discouraged in your own soul. You can get cast down and want to take a different route. So he said... Be careful where you put your focus. He said, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. Giving the example of Jesus when he was praying, and it said great droplets of blood, his corpuscles began to explode, and he sweat blood. None of us have done that praying. Such pressure. And he said, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to us as to sons. My son, now this counts for daughters too. Somebody's like, oh, this is so good. It's all only about boys. No, my son, do not despise the discipline or chastening or direction of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. 
when he deals with you. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens or directs and scourges every son whom he receives. Now, that doesn't mean God's got a whip and he's up there going, whack. But you ever been corrected by God? It's not always comfortable. You ever, you ever been directed by God to do something and it doesn't hurt down here on your rear? It hurts in your will. It hurts internally. And the Bible tells us we're to be straightened in ourselves. Not outward, inward first, and then it creates something outward. Notice this. Verse 7, if you endure chastening or direction or correction, what does it mean to endure? He's not dealing with me anymore. No, it means I've obeyed. I pushed through and did it. Anybody ever been on the other side of knowing and needing to push through and do? Those can be some hard times. Because they're internal. But what am I doing? God's writing. I'm needing to act. When I act, others are going to begin to read it. But not only are they going to read it, it's going to be good with me internally, where it's not seen. And he said this, But if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten or correct? But if you are without chastening or correction, of which all have become partakers, you are illegitimate and not sons. He just said right there, every child of God gets dealt with internally. If you're not saved, he'll deal with you to give your life to him, but he won't deal with you about other things. Why would he deal with you internally? Let me ask you a question. If you're a kid, your parents are just mean when you're directed and corrected. You're just mean. You're not like everybody else's parents. They let them do what they want. Famous quote of many youth. Anybody ever heard of you say that? You're just mean. Is that really what is behind the whole thing? Yes, I am. I'm just mean. I knew it, Mom. You're just mean. No, were they just mean? No, and if you're a parent, you're thinking, I'd like to be mean, but you can't. Or I shouldn't. But you think about it, why would a parent do this? They're wanting the best. Why would the child struggle? Ignorance, deception. Maybe there's a scripture that says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod or the discipline of correction 
will drive it far from them. So really what you're doing is not trying to set up laws, but you're trying to make sure there's nothing foolish in there that would harm them. But what happens when a kid starts obeying and makes the proper adjustments inside? They live their life and people go, you've got such great kids. We've all been to Walmart. That's about all you got to say. There are other kids that haven't been, they need writing from a rod on their rear. Because what we're reading ain't good. Why then would God want to deal with you? Why would God want to deal with you? Oh, I could just make my own choices. Sure you can. Sure you can. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. I know this. God will make better decisions than you do. And if he deals with you, you need to go to him and have him deal with you. Now, I'm not saying every decision you make, like should I have, you know, green beans or should I have zucchini? That's a personal preference. I'm going with zucchini. And you might go, ooh, that's gross. Personal preference. But when we're talking about being around God where he deals with us, we're not talking about religious rules. We're looking at things here. Look at this. Verse 9, Furthermore, we had human fathers or parents who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection? And we're talking about God writing in our hearts. We should be subject to His inward dealings. Because if we're not, all of a sudden we're going to be reading things in the headlines we don't want to read. And it's sad that a Christian wouldn't just want to go be around the Lord so that he could do a work in their heart. But even if you're not, if you would just start going and spending time, God will start dealing with you. And then you start responding. Then your outward life is going to change. And you're going to have a greater effect. We paid them respect. We were in subjection. He said, should we not readily be in subjection to the Father of Spirits and experience life? And I'm so glad he put verse 11 here. Or 10. We'll read 10, then 11. For they indeed for a few days chastened or dealt with us as it seemed best to them. But he for our own profit. Why does God deal with you or want to? Just for his benefit? Or for your profit? For my profit? Notice he said that we might be partakers of his holiness. Notice if I don't obey his dealings, I don't partake of holiness. Why is it important for me to partake of holiness 
And notice what holiness is not. Keep this rule, keep this rule, keep that rule, keep this rule. It's God deals with me, I respond to him. And he may say, don't do this or do this. But he deals with me. When I respond, I partake of his holiness. Because I'm separating to him. Notice what he said next. For no chastening or discipline seems to be joyful for the present. You ever spanked your kids and went, doesn't that feel joyful? Said no kid. But painful. And we know that this painful is not here on your rear. It's inside. Oh, I got to do this. I know it's you, Lord. I know it's you. And what do I do? I put myself in subjection. And when I put myself in subjection, then what happens? I become partaker of his holiness. But notice what he said. It's not joyful, but painful. Nevertheless, after it, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You're your own personal trainer with God's help. Therefore, strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths. In other words, follow the Lord. Uh, for, make straight paths for your feet so that that which is lame may not be dislocated or further damaged, but rather healed or restored. Notice this. Pursue peace with all and holiness. Remember, how do we partake of holiness when I respond to the Lord? How am I going to know what God wants? By just doing my own thing or taking some time? Remember, we're going to be His letters. Man, it might be one thing for me to you, my daughter. I want you to watch your attitude. It's another thing for God to go, and I'm like, i got to watch my attitude. You're my son. I want you to do this. Okay, Dad. But then inside, God does it. Then it, does, it starts bringing forth something in our lives beyond religion. Notice this, and we're going to close. And holiness. Pursue peace. In other words, that inward knowing. And holiness. Without which no one will see the Lord. Basically, all he said there was this. If you want to be sensitive to God, you're going to have to follow this process. When he said, see the Lord, it literally means perceive him. God wants your reality with him to grow. To grow. To grow. To grow. Where you become more aware of God than just people next to you. But that all comes from that personal thing we call a relationship with God and responding to it.